Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Katie from Dizzy Dog Animal Rescue, a nonprofit organization with a mission to save urgent dogs and cats from high-risk shelters. Despite the struggles that have come up in the past three years, the Dizzy Dog team has remained driven to creating lasting change in some of the most deprived areas of our country. That's why we were so happy to have Katie on to discuss the state of things in Texas, the importance of transport, and the untapped social resources that have helped to bring them huge wins. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Really good. I'm really excited to get into everything your rescue's been doing because I know you're kind of from a different locale than we typically speak with. But more than that, we've just seen the amazing work that your organization does. And so it really is just an honor to kind of get a behind the scenes inside look. (laughs) Well, we're really excited to be able to talk about what we do. So thank you for this opportunity to chat more about rescue and specifically rescue in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. We always like to start at the very beginning. So how did the organization get started? So Stacy Carlson is the founder of Dizzy Dog. And she had, through social media, power of social media, connected with a person who was running their own rescue foundation and was focused on Texas dogs. So that was how she initially learned about the crisis that was happening in Texas. This was probably about three, four years ago. From there, she decided to start her own rescue. And that's how Dizzy Dog was created. Her mom, who passed away about 10 years ago now, her nickname was Dizzy Blonde. And so that's how the rescue's name came about. Dizzy Dog came from to honor her mom, who was a huge advocate for animals and animal welfare. We're solely focused on dogs in Texas. And then I connected with Stacy because of her work in San Antonio specifically. I have been networking dogs out of Texas for probably five years now, at one point was associated with another rescue. So that's how I became in contact with Stacy, And from there came on working with her late last year. So that's what we've been doing. Amazing. I do think it is so interesting how there is like almost this legacy with a lot of animal welfare groups of a love of animals that's passed down from a mother or an auntie, sister. (laughs) I mean, I hate to make it about gender, but it does feel predominantly female. And it does feel like a bit of old timey essence that's being passed down from one generation to the next. Yeah. I think too, like kind of carrying that passion forward, like exactly as you're saying, as one generation, my mom is still alive and is exactly what you're saying. You know, we always had different animals growing up, different animals she would take in. She's involved in rescue in in the state that she's in. Her passion and generosity for animals has always been in the forefront. So I I completely agree with that. I think that's, you know, especially when you're around that, you hear about it, and then 
then see the need that is so great in a particular area and, you know, feel like you can do something about that. So I live in Seattle, Washington. Stacy is based in North Carolina. And in our two areas, the need does not look the same as it does in Texas. So in comparison, it feels really good to feel like we're making some difference and some some changes. I love that because I know that's something that we've seen as well. And obviously the need is so great in Texas. I'm not sure. I, I've heard that the need is pretty great in North Carolina as well. Can you tell us a little bit of, because I've heard positive things about Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Can you tell us about how animal welfare kind of is for you there? It wouldn't be fair of me to say that every state doesn't have some kind of a need. Both Stacey and I will be asked a lot in our areas. I um, use my social media specifically next door to recruit people. And I periodically will get those questions like, why not helping dogs in Washington? Or, or she'll get that same question about North Carolina. And the euthanasia rates are not the same. I won't get into all the, the no-kill and those percentages, but I think that our shelters, our humane societies work really hard to prevent euthanasia. They have sought funding. They have trainers on board. Their model is really about saving, I think, these pets. In addition to that, we have spay and neuter laws. I think it's more common practice and people are, it feels like more knowledgeable about that. Most people that I talk to about here, that's goes without saying that they're going to spay and neuter their pet, where a lot of the conversations in Texas, I think, aren't the same that I have. So we do have regions, certainly, that there's rescues here based in Washington that help animals in Washington. So I know that there's a need. It's just the numbers look very different. There are not these daily euthanasia lists or released lists. I know that they do have to make decisions to put pets down, but I think the community looks a lot different and the resources are a lot different. So those numbers are far less than I think what we're seeing in Texas, especially today, this year in general. If you think about it too, Texas is a huge state. I think a lot of us tend to forget that when you compare it to Washington or Oregon or Oklahoma or Tennessee or things like that. Texas is huge. There's so many animals there. So obviously, aside from them maybe not having the progressive sort of shelter processes and whatnot, they just have so much area to have so many animals and they do. Yeah, absolutely. It is so shocking, I think, because you assume so much of it has to do with people, but we have seen that just geographically, there are more animals (laughs) the further south you go. So the way that your organization and rescue is saving animals, are you currently working to rehome all the animals within the Texas area or are you transporting them out? Majority of our our pets are transported out. So I would consider us a transport rescue. We do support and have had Texas adoptions or typically foster fails. Sometimes, you know, they're just networking that the fosters have done. There's also some dogs that I think are not maybe the best candidate for a transport. Uh, One, just the the mode of transportation. Two, not the same kind of supports to where they're headed. So, you know, we've networked those dogs within Texas, but you won't see for the most part, any of our dogs, um, we utilize pet binder. You won't see them listed in Texas. You'll see them in other regions of the country. So most of, yes, our dogs are networked and adopted outside of Texas. 
I'm continually shocked because I know that the essence of transport in general is the fact that the further north you go, there's often like a waiting list for people to rescue animals. Meanwhile, here there's too many animals and we're like, oh yeah, this is just a matter of reorganizing and redistributing animals that people want. There are plenty of people who want them (laughs) as long as we can get them there. That's very accurate. When we do have people that are interested, especially puppies, I think part of the reason that we don't network in Texas is because there are so many dogs in need. So we also, like, I think a lot of rescues view that, you know, this dog is safe with us. And there's so many dogs that still need help at these shelters and would really encourage them to go to a shelter and rescue or adopt a dog from there. So that's part of the reasoning in that way. But again, like I said, I mean, there's some dogs that it just makes sense to do a more traditional meet and greet in person and a transition that way than straight off of a transport vehicle. But it is very interesting how there are weights and people like who are trying to even go to their local shelters and there's no dogs available for adoption. So it's very different. I know. It's just not what you hear about ever, except of course, at the beginning of the pandemic, when they were like, every shelter is empty. We typically like to ask, you know, how things were going during the pandemic, if if you can still consider it still going on. But I'm actually curious how things have been for you since the beginning of this year. I've been hearing so many things. We know, obviously, the economy is not in the most fabulous place. There's a lot of people who are suffering from unemployment and there's inflation. I've been hearing, you know, donations have been down. So how have things been for you guys? I would say we're, we're on par with that. We haven't had to shut our intake down. We certainly have had our fair share of struggles financially. We are donations-based. So that obviously allows us to do what we can do. So yes, I would say all that is true. Donations are down. Adoptions have slowed. Thankfully, our adoptions have not come to like a screeching halt to where I think that is where I've heard has maybe impacted some intakes being open. Um, So we haven't had to do that. Yes, they are slower. I think it helps because we also network in a couple regions in the U.S. and also Canada. So we have a little bit wider geographical areas. I know that that helps. Yeah, donations are down. And I think we are seeing an increase in animals headed to the shelters for a variety of reasons. So. We're in this unfortunate pendulum swing of donations are down, fosters are down. I mean, people are burnt out as much as I think people want to foster 365 days a year, they need to take a break. So, you know, trying to find new fosters is hard. So I would just say adoptions are slower. They're getting adopted, but it's not quite as quickly. So we just are being patient with that. It seems like you must be partnering with a lot of different shelters. I'm wondering, having that connection with them, are you seeing a lot of the shelter workers, like a lot of turnover, a lot of crowded kennels? How are they handling it? Because by all means, I think in so many cases, they tend to be like the front line of so much of, of this and are often unable to solve a lot of the problems on their own. Uh, so we predominantly work with the shelter in San Antonio and mostly one shelter in Houston, sometimes a second one. I think what we hear that staffing is down. So whether it be turnover, but they just don't have staff. So it's questionable to me about the kennel space. I've seen videos or, 
you know, volunteers going in and there are empty kennels. I just saw a report last night. There's empty kennels, but the response is that they just don't have enough staff to maintain, right? And clean and feed and all of that. And so dogs are facing euthanasia because of that, not, not necessarily because of overcrowded space. But it's hard to say. I don't know that we've ever been really clear about how those decisions are made, who makes those decisions. But I agree. I mean, I think being a shelter staff, and I, I certainly would not put that responsibility on them. I think that's an incredibly hard job for any part that they have in that. And I think that's just very exhausting because it's just so many dogs are coming in. What a sad reality to or a sad thought. When you think of shelters and overcrowding and the reasons behind why they euthanize so much, I, I think a lot of people think it's just because there's not enough space. But the reality is that it could just be a matter of there's not enough people helping. And that's so sad to me. I saw a sign the other day because I know that this is not just happening in shelter work. It's happening, I mean, all over. And I went into a shop the other day and they were like, they had a little sign up saying, the world is understaffed. Please be kind to those of us that showed up. And it's like so true. It's like, I know everyone's frustrated because everything's understaffed and things are taking longer and there's lots of frustrations in a few different ways, but it's like, it's only being exacerbated because I think people are frustrated and acting out to people who are doing their best in the situation. Right. Right. I mean, specifically, I don't know if you hear this, but I mean, there, there needs to be some other laws in these cities and Stacey's catchphrase is we can't rescue our way out of this. I mean, we're doing what we can and we're helping who we can. But ultimately, you know, we need a stronger partnership with elected officials and, you know, we need to address the issues outside of the shelter because I do agree. I think they often become the target of that, like what you're talking about, that frustration, the struggle, because they are making the decision, right, about who's being euthanized. And that is just, I think the really, like I had goosebumps when you were saying that, that is the really sad truth is there's just not enough people. And it's hard because we know, like you said earlier, there are so many people in the state of Texas. So it's just really hard and it's becoming harder. And I think the burnout among, you know, that compassion fatigue and burnout among people in rescue and networkers, you know, people are tired, you know, they're tired and rightfully so. So I love that. I think that should be the sign everywhere. You know, it's just kind of being kind because everybody's doing the best that they can. But yes, I think that's grown increasingly at the shelter. The, the lists have, um, have jumped in numbers almost at about like overnight with some of the shelters and they are hard to manage and meet that need. And there's some really, really great dogs that aren't making it out. And that's hard. Definitely. I do want to kind of roll back because something you said in the very beginning really caught me and I know it's going to be so interesting and helpful to anyone listening. You said you recruit on next door. Yeah. So let's talk about that because that is very innovative of you. You said too, that a lot of this, the organization was really built over social media and it's something that we're all every day having to start afresh and learn whatever new update and whatever new process is working. So can you get into what it looks like to recruit on, on next door uh, for an organization like you? Yeah. I mean, social media is so powerful. 
I'm just now learning TikTok, <laughs> um, trying to get, I don't even know, sort that out. And I think because the need is so great that, I mean, dogs are facing euthanasia in Texas versus like I was saying out here. And so most, I'm trying to think most of my fosters that I have out in the area that I live in between Washington and Oregon have come from my next door. And then from there come from word of mouth. So they will then post in their areas on their, typically their next door. Cause I think it's an unused. Oh yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I post and I've learned, you know, doing this. I mean, I used to put out kind of like, please, like we have X amount of dogs or this is happening, but there's a marketing piece to this and putting pictures and saying, this is the dog. I don't, and I'm not talking like graphic pictures. I mean, this is the dog that needs help. This is a dog we're trying to get out of a foster home or has been in boarding has been what has had people respond. And I've had people, I've had dogs adopted that way. I've had people reach out to me to say, if you have any dogs that look like this, or this is a family that is looking, if you have um, a dog that can meet, be a good match. So Nextdoor has been really great. And Nextdoor has really been helpful for me when we've had dogs disrupt in a placement out here. And for one reason or another, that adopter can't maintain them. And I've really had my community come forward in those crises and help and take that dog because the last thing we ever want to do is, is have to consider sending a dog back to the foster home in Texas that they came from. So they have helped tremendously. I've raised money for different things. I've had people like one dog was pretty well like matted and I had somebody just offer to pay their grooming bill. You know, 120 bucks is, is a lot coming from our small rescue. So yeah, I mean, the generosity of people is overwhelming. And I think, you know, we're always, we talk a lot about fostering, but there's really a lot of other ways that people can help. We have some transports that come in to Washington, um, because like I said, we also will adopt up to Vancouver, British Columbia, and we meet at the border. We don't actually cross over. So sometimes I've needed help because I'm not available to drive the couple hours up to the border. So I have people who have helped with that or just moving a dog from one. I might have an adopter down in Oregon. That's a couple hours away. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but people are very generous and are very kind and will help. So I think that's also important that fostering isn't the only thing that somebody can do to help a rescue or help their local rescue. I have lots of people who will offer donations, who will alert me of free kennels that they see somewhere. They'll pick them up for me. I have a bunch stored in my garage. I love Nextdoor. I think it's fantastic. Well, and it seems like maybe the last social media network that isn't kind of thwarted to recognize an algorithm Everyone can see your posts. There's not any limit to that. Because as someone who's been on other social media platforms, it does make sense that you would go on there because your followers on Facebook aren't necessarily going to see what you're posting, right? Yeah. And I think like encouragement because my personal Facebook, a lot of it are people who are in, who already know, and they're also inundated with all the same posts and the same things. So we get, I get a lot of encouragement that I'll share with our team from next door, just thanking us for things that we're doing and helping dogs. And yes, I will have people just recently. I had two different people who did foster because they had been seeing my posts and were at a point that they felt like they could help out, you know, and you never know who's seeing, I mean, they weren't telling me along the way, 
So I'm like, oh yeah, that does just kind of stay out there. It's in a keyword or something like that. So that's been really, really powerful. And then just, yeah, word of mouth. A number of people have, especially working from home, their dogs have been on, their fosters have been on, you know, video conference calls or they've made a cameo and that's ignited the conversation about fostering and rescue. And then I think lastly, what's been great is I feel like bringing an awareness to what is happening in Texas, because if you don't know, you don't know. In other states, I'm not saying it's just Texas, but a lot of people don't understand, I think, the enormity of what has been going on. So I feel like there's some education around like why Texas dogs or why we focus on Texas dogs. And I can say, you know, this is why. And we're like, oh, okay. But I think just encouraging them to adopt also versus an alternative. So I think trying to get a lot of information out there, there's a lot of reasons to have it in, I think next door has been helpful for that. It does start a lot of really positive conversations. That's a great point because maybe you're lucky. Maybe your social media does not garner any cyberbullying or negative conversations. For some reason, the the more good you do in the world, you have a bigger target on your back. Is it predominantly positive feedback compared to other social media networks? Yeah, we get the negativity in private messages and, you know, rescue, it's still a small world. So it's not public, I guess I should say. So that negativity does happen. I've seen some other rescues post that pretty clearly, like why can't we just celebrate the success? Why is there so much competition? It's usually criticism, like with everything, right? Not knowing the full story, knowing one angle. And we just choose not to engage in that. We choose not to make that public because I don't know that we have the ability. I think when somebody's determined this is what the truth is, you know, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. So we just don't engage in that. But publicly, I think on our posts, it is a lot of positivity. And lately it's been really nice too, because a lot of people are commenting and thanking the foster, because that's why we can help the dog that we've helped that we we're posting, which I think has been really fantastic too, because we can't unfortunately highlight everybody all the time for all the things that they're doing. So I like that, that network. So I think trying to continue to build that. I don't think it's as negative as I've seen. It might be because we also, when you talk volume, you know, so when I was saying like this other rescue posting about it, I mean, they are helping a considerable amount. So I think that also raises the the probability of people having things to say. So we're not quite there yet. We'd like to be there. I mean, volume wise, but yes, I agree. I think it's really hard because people use their energy in places that would be best used elsewhere. And I think that's unfortunate and sad. So we try to disengage in that as much as we can and just kind of move forward. Sounds amazing to have any more positivity because sometimes you you walk out of social media and you're like, I feel worse than when I first opened the mm-hmm. app. <laughs> oh my God. Although it's, I mean, any negativity is bad anywhere, but I, I'd say it's lucky that you're seeing yours on a more private level. I feel like whenever there's a public post and and somebody puts something negative, it's like everyone negative within a 50 mile radius can hear it. And they just go absolutely crazy on that post. So like I said, it's not a good thing to get negativity, but 
it makes me a little happier for you guys that it's more on a private scale versus a public. I agree. I mean, I think it casts some negativity and people formulate these opinions that aren't necessarily true and right. We know how social media is. And so the back and forth, and we don't think we have that on our posts and we are always learning. We don't do everything right. Not because that's intentional. We sometimes don't know what we don't know. And then we learn from that. Right. But I feel like that's often where the people have the criticism because they would have done it different. So yes, it, it's more of a private comments that are being made. And then we go from there um, with threats of being public, but they don't do that. But I agree. Yeah. It's an interesting world for sure. Rescue is, is a very interesting world with lots of different personalities. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, if there's one thing I've learned, it is the most diverse place. I think the, the idea that almost everyone on earth loves animals, almost everyone. So it's, it's quite a mixed pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, I don't know. You should probably get some therapies. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You've done so much. Um, I'm wondering for you yourself, looking at the rescue work that you've seen and in, in the work that the organization has done, could you maybe tell us about one of the animals that you feel like has really made a big impact on you? Oh, Yeah. Gosh, that's, there's, well, we adopted, I guess I can talk about Ranger. We adopted a dog from San Antonio. So he's our first Texas adoption. And, you know, it's just, it's so hard because you watch these videos, right? Of these dogs in the kennels and see them interact and the emotional decision-making that goes on in rescue is hard because you need to balance that with the logistics and reality, but Ranger is a brindle pity mix. And I had seen him show up at San Antonio. And um, I mean, it's the double-edged sword, right? Of being in all these groups and kind of being privy to seeing a lot of things, but also knowing that you can't help everyone that you want to help. But I've been watching him. He was surrendered with six other dogs and I knew he was going to end up on the list and was the, some of the dogs just again, because of finances myself or other people will just personally pay to board that dog. If there's not a foster available, because we want to see them live. And he showed up on the list a couple of times on the youth list in San Antonio. And by some miracle, we had a foster for him and he got out and he went to the foster and then through that, being connected to her was when we decided that we wanted to adopt him. So going into it, that wasn't the plan. I think the dogs that are so depressed and scared and shut down, timid, those things, like the, those are the images from the shelter. And within 30 minutes, an hour from leaving that have pictures of them smiling I mean, that's what fuels you, I think, to continue. Kane is a dog. He also came from San Antonio off of the youth list. He was in foster. He was heartworm positive. We do our heartworm treatment in Texas before they're adopted. He was in foster for probably six months or in a foster home. He's this white staffy, not great with little dogs, just a character though. We matched into an adopter out by me. So 
because I don't have the privilege of being able to meet all these dogs, it's always somewhat emotional when I do get to meet them for whatever the reasons are, because I often know how close they came and I'm going to like tear up now to not making it out of the shelters. And so he was adopted not too far from where I live. It did not work. It just ended up not being the right match. And this was one of those situations where I had emergently try to find somebody, no fault of canes at all. So I had um, a neighbor by me who's helped out, took him for a week or so. And I'm like, gosh, what am I going to do with this guy? A good friend of mine who does a lot of fostering as well. was like, let's give it a try. So I went and got him. She has four dogs. We spent several hours walking him with all of her dogs. He's just like a really great dog. The prior adopter had had some feedback about him. I'm like, I don't think that's really accurate. And he ended up, this person ended up maybe like keeping him. He had a lot of crate anxiety. This foster did just incredible like patience and just work on giving him more time in the crate, helping him. It was more like, I think separation anxiety of the person leaving versus like the crate itself. And she just did a lot of desensitization. See, I can say that one, but not the other one. <laughs> With the crate to where he could go five, six hours without trying to get out of the crate. Previously, he was one of those dogs that he would injure like his face trying to get out to break free. Got to the point that just peacefully was in his crate, um, has now been adopted to a really fantastic home. And I just think it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. It does sound like you're taking a risk on a lot of these animals because since you don't get to meet them. So are you a gambler by heart? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like I can't afford that, but I I would. (laughs) Only in the ways of, of animal rescue. Right. Right. It is true though. It is, it is a gamble. (laughs) So we do have some kind of fun questions here. I always like to ask, because you see so many animals come through, what is your favorite pet name that you've ever seen? Tuna. Tuna. Oh. Tuna. Have you seen that little... Uh, the little dog. Chawini with no teeth? Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, there's a celebrity named Tuna, and he's the star. I, I wonder where he is. He was really popular a few years back. I hope he's okay. Tuna's very cute, though. Well, so, okay. Second question. What is the naughtiest thing you've ever seen an animal do? Oh my gosh. (laughs) This like shepherd mix puppy. Gosh, she was probably seven months old then. Um, They had the foster home had let him have some free reign in a room and he destroyed like I mean, we'll start with the whole dog bed was in, you know, the feathers were everywhere and that was all shredded. I think there was probably a couple pillows shredded. He did some damage to the wall. And actually now I'm thinking about, I think he might've been in the kennel and he got out of the kennel and did this. Just like the whole room was in complete disarray, torn up. Thankfully the foster was okay with it. I think in part because he's a puppy, but we were like, oh, I mean, this whole room. I have to ask you, how, how long do they estimate that it took him to do that? Because <laughs> I swear they work fast. <laughs> that's a good question. I don't think very long. I don't know that we asked that, but that's a good question. I mean, like I said, the visual, like I'm just picturing it in my head and I did the like bad to the bone song to the <laughs> yeah. video. 
which actually was pretty popular on, on Instagram. Um, because I, we were just like, nothing in the room had, you know, not some material <laughs> that had been shredded, spread out. And he's just like, he has these really pretty, those really distinct blue eyes. And so he's just looking at you like, what? I, this is how it was when I walked in here. So I, that's probably top of the naughty list. I feel like every pet owner has walked into the, one of those scenes oh, yeah. at one point. I've had my share of those moments. And there's always that, there's that moment before you open the door where you're like, what's that feather? And it's just like <laughs> this thing in your head that's like, dun, dun, dun. Like. <laughs> or there's like the times where you have to sit there and you're like, I mean, you got through a lot. That was a pretty big feat. You just got to laugh about you're it. You're like, I'm impressed. I'm not I, even yeah, Like just like the amount of stuff they can get into within a 20 minute time span. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, that was impressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our last question is a little bit harder. And by a little bit, I'm going to say a lot of it because I know we really put you on the spot here. Is there a quote? or something that you tell yourself over and over when you're doing this work that kind of keeps you going, keeps you inspired. I know you said Stacy had a saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, she says we can't rescue our way out of this. And I know that probably has maybe less positivity, but I think it's, it's grounding in that we do want to save them all, but we can't save them all. So I think if I set my goal for saving them all, then I'm constantly disappointed, burnout, run down. You know, and I think in addition to that, it's just a lot of like, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. You know, we took a hit medically where we've got a dog that now needs to do some training. So financially we're, it's looking bleak, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to, you know, we're going to keep on doing this because the dogs need us to do that. So I think that her phrase of, we can't rescue our way out of this is just grounding in, okay, yep but we're going to keep on keeping on. Right. I really like that. And I say, it makes me think of like how rescuing is a product of the environment we live in. So we can keep rescuing dogs, but unless, you know, we do other things like you're mentioning legislative change and community education and things like that, the problem's never going to go away. Right. And that's ultimately what we, I know this isn't part of the question, but that's ultimately what we want to see. We would love to be at a place that we can you know, work with policymakers and we could build relationships within a particular community because again, yes, Texas is huge, um, where there is some education and some spay and neuter clinics and things like that, that we see go to the root of the problem. You know, we are making a difference, but there's a bigger difference that we would ultimately like to see that I think would really impact change. So we hope one day we can get to that point. Keep on keeping on. We're rooting for you 100%. We want to see that happen as well. And I'm sure so many other people do. So coming together, I think is, is going to be the way to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katie, for chatting with us. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity and reaching out and everything that Cuddly does and has been huge support for our families and our campaigns. So we are very grateful that you all took your time to hear about us and what we do. So thank you for that. It was so great talking to Katie today. And I don't know about you, but I feel like some of these tips that she imparted are amazing and underutilized. So if you want to learn a little bit more about the amazing work that Dizzy Dog Animal Rescue is doing, you can check our show notes or our blog. 
And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly, that's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks guys.